Morning, everyone. It is good to be back after a few weeks away. I'm excited um, to teach on the book of Exodus. We're going to be going through Exodus over the next 10 to 12 weeks. I'm excited to learn about our God, the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we see in, in the story of Exodus how he so graciously redeems a people to serve him. Brings them out of bondage to serve him in holiness. Again and again, Exodus reveals to us the goodness of God. And indeed, that is how he reveals himself on the mountain, Mount Sinai. You see the, the glory of God, the holiness of God in his goodness. And we're invited to worship God alone. To seek Him alone for deliverance, life, and hope. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. The book of Exodus is Act 2 of a story that begins in Genesis 12. So I want to back us up a little bit just to remind us of where this story lies. God called a man in Genesis 12, a man named Abram. And we know Abram as Abraham. God gave him a new name. God called Abram to leave his family and his homeland to go to a land that God would show him. Didn't know it when he set out, but God was going to give him a land. And, And so Abraham embarked on a lifelong journey of faith in God. And again and again, we see that God was faithful to his promises to Abraham. In the midst of Abraham's sin and and the sin of Abraham's descendants, Isaac and Jacob, God was faithful to them. The book of Exodus picks up right where Genesis left off with the children of the sons of Jacob, the children of Abraham's grandson. And things are about to get worse for God's people in Exodus. But they walk with a promise-making, covenant-keeping God. A God who hears their cries for help, who sees their troubles, and who will act to save them. The book of Exodus begins with a suffering people. But there's good news for those who suffer. Even in the worst of times, God always keeps his word. Even in the worst of times, God keeps his promises. I'm going to pray now and then we'll open up the word of God to hear what God has to say about the suffering of his people. Father God, we come before you and we thank you that you have given us your word, that we might see how you have worked in the lives of your people throughout history. And we thank you for the way that you continue to redeem a people to yourself, that you have brought us here together in Christ 
that we might worship you and know you, Lord, the God of Israel, our God. We ask that you would open our eyes to see you as you reveal yourself in your word, as you reveal yourself to those that are suffering. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Exodus chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. We're going to cover a couple chapters. Exodus 1 and verse 1 begins. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin. Dan, and Naphtali. Gad and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with just pause there at the end of verse 7. We see that, that Exodus begins with a family history of sorts. Gives us the names of the sons of Israel. And tells us of how they came to be in Egypt with Jacob. And Joseph, we know from Genesis, he was already there. And now the story picks up when Joseph has died. And that generation has passed on. But we see that these, these verses tie in the story of Exodus with the story of Genesis. And that's why I wanted to begin that way with a reminder of the promises of God to Abraham and his family. In which it was through him, God said, that all nations would be blessed. When we read Exodus 1, verse 1, begins, these are the names of the sons of Israel. And we see those very same words in Genesis chapter 46, verse 8. There in Genesis 46, the people of Jacob were about to go into Egypt, to the land of Egypt where Joseph was. And God came to Jacob in visions and he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you up again. So God has given this promise, this uh, reassuring, comforting word to Jacob that he has a good plan and a purpose for Israel and Egypt, that he's going to make them a great nation, that he's going to go with them down and, and up again. And so that's what God has done. Not only did God save them from the famine through Joseph, he settled them in this good land and he multiplied their family. Now Exodus picks up at the very same place. Joseph and his brothers, they've now died. It's a new generation 
of people, but God continues to keep his promises. Exodus 1 verse 7 says, the people of Israel, they were fruitful and they increased greatly. They multiplied and they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. He was keeping his promise to Jacob. I will make them a great nation. Or I will make you into a great nation. And he was keeping his promise to Abraham. We read in Genesis 22 verse 17. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand on the seashore. And so God was keeping his promises. He was faithful to his people. But that's not the end of the story. God's blessing so often is intermingled with suffering. And so we see that a new king arose and enslaved the Israelites. Exodus 1 verse 8 continues the story. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Jacob, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel, they are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war should break out, they join our enemies and fight against us and dominate the land. Therefore they set, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And we'll stop again at verse 14. This brief account describes this spiral of Israel's suffering. Here, all things, things are going well. They're growing. God is fulfilling his promises. But now a new king arose. And under the new king, the Israelites were forced into hard, hard labor. Bricklaying was not an easy job. You had to gather the straw. You had to chop it up. You had to mix it in the mud and put it in the brick kilns. To, and then you had to set them in place. And they were all of this was done with slave masters with whips. They had quotas. They had to do a certain amount of work in a day. This was difficult. In some ways, in our context, it's hard, so hard to imagine that kind of, of oppression, that kind of having to work like that, like a slave under a master doing backbreaking work. And their suffering seems here in this account to have no end. It just gets worse. They think things are going well. Maybe things will be better. But no, it continues. 
The people become more afraid as Israel grows more in number and the work becomes harder. And by the end of Exodus chapter 1, we're not going to read all the rest of it, but we come to verse 22. And what is the Pharaoh command? Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. doesn't get a whole lot worse than that. Not only are the people oppressed, but their their very offspring, their very hope of survival and continuing on is being destroyed. Innocent children are being slaughtered. So we see that Israel is suffering greatly. They are a suffering people. But intertwined with the suffering of Israel, did you notice that God continued to keep his promise? That in fact, even in their suffering, God was multiplying them just as he had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they might not have seen that as a good thing because what did it lead to? More suffering. It led to more pain. But God was continuing to keep his word. Even, listen to this, even their suffering was a part of God's plan. Do you believe that? Even their suffering was a part of God's plan. How can I how can you say that? How can we say that? We know this because God had foretold the time of the Exodus in Genesis 15. God had told Abraham what was going to happen to his descendants in the land of Egypt. If you would turn to Genesis 15, I think we really need to see this here. In Genesis 15, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And we see in verse 5, God promises innumerable descendants, as many as the stars. You know what? In the very next verse, verse 6, we're told the wonderful Truth that Abraham believed God. He believed that God would do this. Though at that time he had no son. He had no children. Yet he believed that God would do this. And the scripture tells us that it was accounted to him as righteousness. Not that he had done anything. God was the one who had called him. God was the one who had led him. God was the one who had made this promise. And he was the one who would keep it. Abraham's faith was accounted as righteousness before God. And at that time, God made a covenant with Abraham. A 
covenant was a legal agreement between two different parties. Maybe they were warring and they wanted to to make an agreement to get along or they wanted to settle land rights. Who has light rights to the land when my sheep are over here and your sheep are here? How do we settle this dispute and make peace? And a, this covenant, the covenant was a legal agreement between two parties that was made official by the sacrifice of animals. There was a cause to peace. And so we see in Genesis 15 that God has Abraham cut the animals in half and God himself walks through declaring his covenant promises, this agreement that he would make with Abraham. Not based on anything Abraham had done or would do, but based on God and his promises alone. God makes this covenant with Abraham to demonstrate that he will keep his promise. He will do as he has said. But here's the shocking part in God's covenant and promise. God declares in Genesis 15 verses 13 to 16. As a part of his covenant with Abraham. Your offspring will be sojourners. They will be pilgrims in a land that is not theirs. So we know that Jacob has come. He's in the land of Egypt and they were prospering. They will be servants and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But God says, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know that God knew all about the suffering that Israel was facing in that moment. It wasn't a surprise to him. In fact, he set a limit on it. And he told their forefather Abraham. And the rest of it, God's judgment on Egypt, God bringing Israel out with great possessions, that was yet to come. And we look forward to learning about that. Here's the thing that God would have us to to understand when we look at Genesis 15. Suffering is not outside of God's plan. Even in God's promise to Abraham, there is a promise of suffering. This affliction that would last for a time and for a purpose so that God would reveal his glory and so that God even would have patience on the the people of the Amorites. That has nothing to do even with Israel. But God says in Genesis 15, 16, that then the iniquity of the Amorites or he says that they shall come in the fourth generation. 
because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God was being patient with the people who had who are a wicked nation. God has a purpose for all things. And God's promises remain true even in the worst of times, even in times of suffering. You know, we gain a glimpse of this when we read and, and, and we'll, uh, I'll invite you to, to reflect on it throughout this week. Genesis or Exodus, sorry, 1 verses 15 to 20, 21. Pharaoh tried to get the, the midwives to do something that was, was wrong, to, to kill the, the baby boys. And they were faithful to God, and God blessed them because they obeyed him. They feared God and obeyed him rather than man. And we see in chapter 2 that God protects Moses. So we see God's blessing. God's protection, God's help, even in suffering. And it can be easy for us looking back to say, oh yeah, God, God was there. And he was multiplying them and he was with the midwives. It's easy for us to say, well, because we know the end of the story. God's about to save them. Just put on a Put on a happy face, Israel. Your suffering's about to end. But think for a moment about your life in the midst of your troubles and, and hard things. In the thick of our troubles, we may wonder, does God see my troubles? Does he hear my cries? Does he know my pain? It's not easy in the midst of suffering. We shouldn't minimize the, the suffering that we or that the Israelites or someone else may be going through. But praise God that at the end of Exodus 2, we are given an answer. Where is God? Up to this point, how would we know if we did not know the promises of God? We might wonder, where is God? But God answers in Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25. We're going to read that now. Exodus 2, 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. The king of Egypt died. And surprise, surprise, it doesn't get better just yet. Israel's trouble continues. 
But here is where we see a change. We see their response now in their suffering, and we see that they cried out to God for help. They gave voice to their needs, and some of it was groaning because verse 24 says that God heard their groaning, those unspoken cries of anguish and pain. They turned to God in prayer. And Moses tells us, listen again to what verses 24 and 25 says. This is so amazing. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. We hear, uh, we see here in God's word, four things about God are highlighted. First, he heard their prayers. God always does. That's the kind of God that he is. He hears the cries of his people. Not only does the Lord hear, he remembers. He remembered his covenant. It's not as though God has forgotten. Remember, he even knew beforehand about their suffering and he had set a limit upon it. Saying that God remembered his covenant is a way of saying that he now honors the terms of his covenant. He had said after the fourth generation that he would bring them out. And God is going to keep his promise. He will answer his people's prayers and come and deliver them. God remembers this covenant. He moves in action according to all of his promises. Just at the right time, he would bring Israel out of Egypt. Thirdly, we see that God saw them, each one in their suffering, and he knew them. These two terms together remind us God isn't just aware of our suffering as though he kind of watches it up in heaven on a TV screen looking down at us, checking in on us once in a while. God stands in relationship with them. He stands as one who is near and has a deep and personal knowledge of them and their suffering and their situations and their troubles. Well, after this great declaration, the story turns back in Exodus 3 to Moses. And Moses saw a burning bush and met the Lord, the holy God of his fathers. And we will talk more about this next week and see a little bit further to the end of the story. But God tells Moses in Exodus 3, 7 to 9, the very thing that we see at the end of chapter 2. God says to Moses, I have seen the affliction of my people 
further on, how severely they are pressed. I have heard their cry. Indeed, the cry of the Israelites has come to me. I know their sorrows. And again, we're reminded God speaks to Moses and he tells him that, that he is not absent. He's not forgetful or uncaring. No. The exalted creator is an ever-present savior who hears his people's cries and knows their suffering. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God we worship. And so God says to Moses in chapter 3 and verse 8, I have come down to deliver them. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. God coming down from his exalted throne to save us. Just as he promised. He would be with them. All along the way. We'll talk about what happens next week. And, and some of Moses' conversation with God. And Moses' struggles. His doubts. But I want to pause here and, and bring this home. What do we learn from this story? One of the first things that we learn in Exodus is that God's people often suffer. We could describe Israel in many ways. They are God's chosen people. They are precious to him. And we rejoice in these things. But here we see that they're, they're sufferers too. They're in bondage, hurting, broken in body, they must be, have been emotionally drained from the endless toil and death that was around them. Israel is a suffering people. And that's significant because if we're going to be consistent with the word of God, we must acknowledge that suffering is a part of what we experience as humans and, and as the people of God. On this earth, pilgrims in a foreign land. We all are sufferers like people in Egypt. We're all people in need of hope and freedom and peace and the joy that is found in the Lord. As followers of Christ, we need to know that we will be a suffering people. Until he brings us home. Now I'm not saying all the time in every way. Remember God had a very specific time. For Israel in bondage in Egypt. Suffering as they did. We need to understand that this is. Not outside of the will of God. For his people. Just as God's promise to Abraham. Included the promise of suffering. For a time the words of Jesus teach us that trouble and tribulations will have a part to play in our lives. And it's at the end of John 16 that God 
Jesus speaks those words to us. So we're not promised that walking with God will be easy all the time in that sense that there will be no obstacles. But for those who trust in Christ, we have the great hope of rescue. And in fact, the same promise that God promised to Jacob, I will be with you. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will bring you up. That very same God is our God. The God of Israel who delivers his people. Even the worst of times are not outside of his good plan. He always hears. He always sees and he always keeps his promises. That's who God is. And the ultimate proof of this is that he went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross to save us from our sin so that we might be restored into a relationship with him, that he might dwell with us and walk with us through all of life. In Exodus, God called Moses to save his people, and he does so in an amazing way. This is just a shadow of the far greater Savior. One who can rescue us. The only one who can rescue us. God himself became one of us. The man Christ Jesus. He came down to rescue us and to bring us to God through his blood shed on a cross for our sins. This Jesus He knows our suffering. When he was faced with the cross, he wrestled with God, but he ran to his father. And he endured the cross for our sake. And now he invites us to face our trials with him. For he is the same God who delivered people of Israel from in their suffering and walk with them. If you would but cry out to him, turn to him in your troubles and give voice to your needs as the people of Israel did, God will answer. And the timing, I can't promise you, But we know that though our troubles may overwhelm us, God always keeps his promises. He will be our rock and fortress in times of trouble. He will be a God of blessing in the midst of suffering. Cry out to him. Trust him with your suffering. For he always keeps his word.